Get my notes signed up here. All right. Listen, uh, Pastor Sean was right. We have been in the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue uh, to be there until we hit missions emphasis, which missions emphasis will be the, uh, the 15th of November and the 22nd of November. We have two different missionaries coming. One is Bianca Cooley. She's a graduate from North Point Bible College with a master's degree, and she's going off to a Bible school in Vanuatu. And so she's going to come and speak to us on the 15th, and then some friends to faith. Um, if you've been here for a while, you know them, uh, Neil and Kathy Vonaria, who were in Papua New Guinea, but who are now in uh, Sicily, uh, running uh, ministry to refugees there. They're coming to speak. If you remember last year, uh, Laura Fazio came and spoke to us. Laura works with Neil and Kathy in, uh, in Italy, and they're, they're old school missionaries, good friends of ours, and so we'll, uh, they'll be with us on the 22nd. So just wet in the whistle for that. Let's put it on the schedule. Uh, those are always uh, fun times. And I enjoyed Brenna Kate last week. What she brought us was really good stuff. Um, and she's, she's local, so I'm sure that won't be the last time that we see her uh, here at Faith. Anyway, so we're going to be in Ephesians. We've learned a lot in Ephesians. Quick recap. We've learned who we are in verses, chapters 1 through 3, what Christ has done, and as a result of his work, who are we now? And then we went into saying, well... As a result of who we are, what do we do? And we said that, hey, uh, when we come and we, and we discover who we are, that changes our behavior and our focus, and, and we begin in response to who we are to, to do. And we, we talked about who we are and what we do. And then we realized, hey, when we begin to operate, when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, and we begin to operate, we begin to change what we do in Christ, we, we ex, uh, experience resistance or conflict, right? And sometimes that, that resistance, that conflict is really small, like maybe you're struggling to find uh, that time for personal devotions to spend with the Lord. Like you know you want to, but man, it's just, this is such a struggle. Why can't I nail this down? I mean, that's a, that's a fairly small conflict to a large conflict where there are some Christians in the world who... Uh, will face execution if people know they're a Christian. How many know that's a big conflict? Right? And so, and everything in between. We, the conflict can be real small, or it can be quite large. And Paul identifies for us the source of that conflict. Uh, and that was, that's in Ephesians uh, 6, verse 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul identifies and says, hey, the source of our struggle is actually an organized, strategic evil force led by the devil. That there's this whole unseen evil, it's not just some sort of nebulous idea or a, a it just kind of, you know, goes where it wants. It's, it's organized. It's strategic. It's, and it's, it's led by the devil, by Satan, whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of a recap a bit of Ephesians, of what we've talked about. We're going to continue uh, that today. So I want to ask you the question is, 
do you know what the battle is really about or over? This force of evil uh, where, where Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces, organized evil. But what's this battle about? What is this battle over? Do we just battle them because it's what we do? We just battle. We just fight, but we don't know why we fight. And what is the ground gained? What are we fighting for? What is this battle? Well, several places in the Scripture, one of them being John 10.10, Jesus said this, the thief, he's referring to the devil or Satan, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he says, but I've come to give you life. And so he, Jesus says, hey, the, the thief, the devil, the enemy, his, his job is to steal, kill, destroy. And then Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8, I don't have a slide for it, but he says, hey, the devil prowls around like a lion. And he's looking for someone to devour. And so we see this, that the, the devil, the enemy, is out to, to kill, to destroy. Well, what's he wanting to destroy? He's wanting to destroy... God's creation. And you say, well, I thought he wanted to destroy me. Well, you're part of God's creation, right? Well, human beings aren't the only thing that, that uh, God created. In Genesis, we see, right, when uh, God created uh, the heavens, he created the earth, he created the animals, he created the fish, and each time he said, hey, this is good. Anything that God created that said this is good, guess what the devil hates and wants to destroy? Well, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16, uh, Paul tells us what's included in God's creation. He's talking about, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created. So now he's talking about all things that were created. Things in heaven, things on earth. Sorry, we're having a little bit of a technical issue. There we go. Things in the heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So he's saying here, the things we see, the things we don't see, were all created by God. So it's not just... The birds and the grass and the sun and the stars and you and me. Like, he did create those things, but he created authority. He created power structures, right? He created uh, emotions. He created intellect. He created the unseen things as well. And so this is included in God's creation that the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? So we know that the devil, hey, he hates anything good that God created. We know that he's out to destroy anything that's in God's creation that God labeled as good. But how does he go about it? How does the devil steal, kill, and destroy? I don't know about you, but it's been very rare in my life that I've actually felt a demonic presence or seeing any kind of manifestation of the devil, uh, excluding people being involved. We can say, oh, that person's full of the devil, right? We can put that label on somebody, but apart from people, so there's just actually a real supernatural demonic experience. Most of us in this room would say, I probably have never experienced that. It might feel a little weird walking in a room or something of that nature, 
But seeing a devil destroy something or kill something, it's a, very, it's a rare thing, isn't it? So what does the devil do? How is, he, how is he at work? How is he organized? Well, guess what? Scripture tells us that as well. Isn't that great that God gave us his word so we can actually understand these things? Let's look in Genesis chapter 3. It's a very familiar story to you. Um, it's the, the creation of the garden, and Adam and Eve are in the garden, and in verse 1 it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now let me pause here. The serpent represents Satan, the devil. And uh, he's coming to the woman, and he's, he's using uh, a distortion of God's word. He said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? If you read previously, what the, you know what God said. God said you can eat from every tree except one. But now the devil says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? It's a little bit of a distortion, right? Like, hmm. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Like, hey, let me clarify. God did say we can eat from there. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. So she corrects him, but now her focus is on what she can't have. Right? She's like, hey, I can have, God said I could have everything except one. And the devil says, did God really say you can't have any of that? He's like, no, I can have it all. Well, he did say I can't have that one. And he's got her focused on what she can't have. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. There's the temptation piece of it, right? Hey, you're not going to die. God was wrong. Even though he said you would die if you ate it, I'm telling you, you're not going to die. In fact, it's actually going to be the opposite. It's going to be good for you. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. What, what did the devil do to steal, kill, and destroy her in Adam? It all revolves around a lie, but he distorted the word of God, right? He played on her weaknesses and her desires. Oh, it's good for food. It's pretty. My wife and I laugh a lot because I'm like, I was like, don't, we were going to go out shopping for a piece of equipment. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going out shopping because my wife will just buy the pretty one. Right? Right? And she's like, yeah, I want the pretty one. Right? And so I think that's just funny that it's in here. It's like, oh, it's good for food. Oh, and it's pleasing to the eye. It's pretty. You know? And it gains wisdom. Like, oh, I'm going to benefit from this. I'm going to be smarter. I'm going to know something I didn't know before. 
The devil distorted, used her weaknesses, used her own desires that maybe some of it were healthy. There's nothing wrong with wanting something that's pretty. There's nothing wrong uh, with wanting something to eat. There's nothing wrong with wanting to learn and grow and know more. He lied, he he switched, he combined, and he got her to act on the lie that she now believed. Right? Created the doubt, twisted God's words, and then got her to act on that lie she now believed. We see the devil tries this again in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'm hungry after 40 hours. Uh, Can we go? Okay, good. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see, he's playing on his, his desire for food, his hungry, his weakness. Like, hey, you're powerful. Make those, make those stones into bread. I'm going to paraphrase because the rest of it's not showing up in the slides. So, the devil comes to Jesus and he's, he plays on his desires and on his weaknesses. He then twists the word of God in the following temptations. He says, oh, throw yourself off uh, here. God will protect you. Right? And then he says, hey, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. And that's actually another play on a weakness because Jesus, being God, knew what he was going to have to face in order to gain the kingdom of the world. And so he's playing on the fact that Jesus knows, hey, I'm going to have to suffer a whole lot to do my Father's will. And the, the devil's giving him the option of a shortcut. Hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give it to you. You don't, even have, to, you don't have to sacrifice for it. And we know that Jesus sees through it. He stands strong. He doesn't give in to the temptation. He uses the word of God, and the devil ends up leaving him. So we see a, a failure, and then we see a, uh, a success story. And Paul actually talks about these things in the New Testament, about uh, the Adam, the first Adam and the second Adam. And we, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about how does the devil work to destroy You see, the devil's work is in the unseen. He manipulates, he twists, he deceives, he blinds, he plays on weaknesses, all in an effort to get you to believe the lie instead of the truth. And when you believe the lie instead of the truth, all of us act on what we believe. Right? You don't do anything that you don't believe. We can all whittle down to something you believe about yourself, something you believe about somebody else, something you believe about in general. That's why they say we can, like, somebody can look at your calendar and your checkbook and pretty much know most of your life because we invest in, we do the things that we believe in. And so he twists and he deceives and he, he distorts the truth to get you to act on a false truth or a lie to do evil. And it breaks down. Uh, I could show you multiple scriptures. Let me show you a few so that you you understand that this this unseen realm that that really there's a battle in. That you don't see it, but it exists. 
In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees, and he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. So he's comparing, he says, how do you know that he's uh, the devil, your father? What's his characteristics? He has no truth. He's against the truth. He hates the truth. Anything that's true, he wants to distort. And then in Romans chapter 1, oh, I'm sorry, it goes on. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's who the devil is. He's a liar. He speaks no truth. He's the father of all lies. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Paul is talking here about people who have fallen away and who are following you know, things, uh, evil desires, those kinds of things. And he says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. Next slide, please. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then it goes on and talks about all kinds of things that they've been given over to. Now let me explain this. When it says God gave them over to shame and, uh, and lusts, it doesn't mean that God said, hey, hey, I'm going to create some shame and lusts for you guys to do. Basically, when they exchanged the truth about God, they said, I, I, I don't believe in the truth about God. I'm exchanging that to believe in a lie. What the devil has crafted or created or convinced me or twisted or got me to believe. And the, the result of believing the lie has led them to do things and believe things that are far from God. God said, I'm not stepping in and stopping them. He gave them over. He allowed their mind and their heart to drift and go where the, where the lie took it. And you can go on and you can read all kinds of things in there from, from uh, sexual immoralities to, to hurting people to backbiting to, to all kinds of things that's listed in that verse. Because they exchanged the truth about God for the lie. And then uh, Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by how? Renewing of the mind. So you, you start to see this picture of the unseen. Write this. Hey, uh, he didn't say be don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, by not swearing anymore, by not doing drugs, by not having sex by you know, not listening to crazy music or watching programs you shouldn't have. Like, he didn't give this laundry list of things you needed to stop doing in order to be transformed. He said, no, the transformation begins in the unseen, in the place where the battle really is, in the mind. In the mind and the heart and the affections of men and women. That's where the real battle is. Because by the time you get to the, to the action... All of this has already been cemented. I've thought about something for a while. I begin to believe that now, and so now I act on what I believe. 
The battle was way back in the beginning at the thought process. Right? That's where the real battle was. The actions, it's too late. And the repentance is, is a saying sorry for the action, but a repentance is a transformation of the thought process so you don't do the action anymore. That's the turning from. So the real battle is in the unseen. So if you're acting out, if you're doing things that you ought not to or that you, sh- or, or that you shouldn't do, the, what we address is the thought process of what leads you to do what you're doing. Why do you think that you need to sleep around? Why do you think you need to go out and get drunk every weekend? Right? That's where the real battle is. Why do you think that all Christians are hypocrites and you refuse to come to church anymore? Oh, what do you mean? Christians can be susceptible to this minefield as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The devil will get you to believe all kinds of distortions of the truth so you even fight your brothers and sisters in Christ. But somehow we think if we use the Christian title, it's all going to go away. Sorry. Not really, but... And it's always uh, sermons like this that we have technical difficulties... Like my whole, my whole screen just shut down. So, um, yeah. God's like, hey, you're on a roll. You don't need this anymore. So transformation begins here. The transformation starts here. And even Jesus said this. Look, I mean, look what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. He said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples, and I know you could probably quote the next. Can you get, can the sound booth, please? Next verse. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How does the truth set you free? Well, how does the devil fight, the, fight you? He distorts. Uh, he manipulates the truth, right? He tries to get you to believe the lie. But if you know the truth, then you are set free from the devil's schemes of that wreaking havoc in you. And because now that you're thinking about truth, you begin to do what's true. You begin to live the way God would have you to live and act the way God would have you to act. So the, the, the beginning of it all is knowing the truth. And it sets you free. It sets you free from the power and the manipulation that the devil may have in your life. It's very, uh, a lot of what we fight is in, is in the unseen. It's in the unseen. So the battle against evil and the devil is unseen. It's in the thoughts and it's in the belief of people. James 1, 13 through 15 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So God is not the author of temptation. God can only tempt you to do good. He will only tempt you to do good. Can you go next, next screen, please? 
But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So he's talking about the things that are inside of us when the devil comes in and he begins to get us thinking about these things. Now we're thinking on this. And then you get some manipulation, you get some experiences, now you begin to believe what you've been thinking on. And then you begin to act on that. Next verse. But then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. So what we think affects what we believe, which affects how we act, and there you have it. So the the point we're trying to say is where is the real battle? And that's what I'm calling today the real battle. So where's the real battle? Most of us think the real battle is when somebody cuts us off on the road while we're driving. Or some coworker doesn't treat us well. Or some customer cusses us out. Or our neighbor seems like they're just always against us. Like, man, I'm fighting these battles. You're fighting the symptoms. You're, 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 you're fighting the result of the other battles, which is, which is in which is in the unseen. It's, it's either you or the other person. The devil has distorted the truth, blinded to the truth, and gotten you to believe something so that you act on it. And the action is the outcome of the belief. We all understand that, right? And the thing that we have to remember in this room is that Every single one of us are susceptible to this. Everyone. It's not them. Right? Like, we like to think that way. Like, anybody who thinks differently than me must be being manipulated by the devil, and I have to set him straight. Right? At least that's, that's the, the feeling you get when you read social media. Like, I am, I am immune to the devil's schemes in my life, but everybody else is not. That seems to be the assumption in the world we, we live in today. But I'm telling you today, the, you need to know this applies to all of us, Christian or not. The, the devil wants to tear you down and destroy you. He wants to destroy you personally. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy the work of God in this world. He wants to destroy everything that's good. And so when there's chaos, and when people are fighting, and people are mean to each other, he's like, yes, I'm winning. I'm winning. So the question today, I'm going to spend the rest of the time, I'm going to go through it quick. How do we prepare ourselves so we don't fall prey to the devil's schemes? How do you prepare yourself? What's that? Yeah. And for me, I'm going to read you six positions that you need to walk in. What do you mean by position? Perspective, approach. Because listen, if the battlefield... The real battle exists in the unseen and in the mind and in the heart. You need to have certain mindsets and parameters and firm things that you say, this is my position on this. So when this comes, I'm, I'm not moved. I can, I can navigate. And I'm, I'll wrap this up and, and, and you'll, uh, you'll see. Pos- position one, to, to Ben's point, 
The first thing I have to hold on to, the truth matters. The truth matters. And, and it includes, but is not exclusively a set of truths. This is... People all over the world fight over a set of truths. Like, no, we believe this to be true. No, 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 I believe this set to be true. That's important, but when we say truth matters, we mean, I mean everything. The desire for truth, the knowledge of truth, to walk in truth, to live by truth, that in all aspects, truth matters to you. And it has to matter whether it, it, uh, it benefits you or doesn't benefit you. Right? Truth, ha- you have to, if you're a lover of truth, you love truth even if it doesn't support your claim. Even if by acknowledging, yes, that's true, it, it completely demolishes anything that you've been working on. You go, oh well, truth matters. I care and I want the truth more than anything else because it's the truth that sets me free, that leads me to God, that defeats the devil because the devil is the father of lies and the manipulator of all truth. So therefore, I want to know the truth. This also includes you realizing that there are some absolute truths. You're not looking for, i got to find what's true for me and respecting what's true for you. Now, I understand that to a degree. There are some truths that are my truths and there are some truths that are your truths. I may say, you know what? Uh, my wife's cooking is the best cooking on the planet. That's true for me. And you're like, I don't think so. I think my wife's cooking... You may, you may argue that back to me, and I might say, you know what? I respect that that's true for you, but that's not true for me. Right? That's a subjective truth. Like, for me, that is the best cooking. You may have, man, the best guitar player on the planet is so-and-so. I'm like, I disagree with you. I think the best, like, that's where we, those are opinions. But there are absolute truths, like natural laws, like gravity exists whether you want to believe it or not. It still exists. And there are truths just like that. You have, so being a lover of truth says there are some absolute truths. And, and for me, truth matters. I'm going to, it's a position I hold. Truth matters. Even if, it, even if it doesn't support me, even if I have to actually suffer loss because I discovered the truth. It should guide you while you're reading your Bible. It should guide you while you're having conversation with people. It should guide you while you're here in church worshiping. That Because God is constantly shaking us and reorienting, reorienting us to the truth that the devil has distorted. Because if the devil's seeking to distort the truth in your life, then you need something that, that reorients you to the truth. Right? Like you all have had, it's getting better because technology is getting better, but I remember when GPSs first came out. I mean, if you driving, driving, you went the wrong way, all of a sudden be like, oh no, re, rethinking, rebuffering, no, idiot, you've gone the wrong way, turn this way. Like, it's kind of what we need those things in our life. And it disarms the devil. So, position number one, the truth matters. Position number two, in this battle for evil, over evil, Christ has already won. Christ has already won. Jesus defeated Satan when he rose from the dead in power. 
And so because of that, you and I are made right with God. Because of that, everything that Christ uh, did and accomplished is ours as well. The victory over evil is ours already. Like everything, Christ has already won. That's a, it's a position you have to say. Like when you're, when you're facing evil, when you're facing untruth, when you're facing, you say, you know what, I know this is hard right now, but I know that Christ has already won. And I may have to fight this for the next 30, 40, 50 years till I'm in the grave, but guess what? At some point, I already know how this ends. Christ has already won. He's, he's purchased it all already. These are temporary battles. They're like, they're like the battles in the old times when after a, a peace treaty was signed, that little skirmishes kept happening until you know, it caught up with the fact that the war was over. It's basically the war is over. Christ has won. And that's a position you have to hold on to. You're like, I might be fighting this battle, but I know Christ has already, Christ has already beat the devil. Second, uh, third thing. I am loved by God. I don't know how many people I meet that question whether God loves them. Complete lie of the devil. It's a simple gospel message. For God so loved the world. And guess what is included in the world? I can fill my name in there. For God so loved Steve. For God so loved Crystal. For God so loved Sue. For God so loved Malcolm and Kristen. And for God so loved, he sent his son. And his son purchased uh, my freedom. He paid my debt. I am reconciled to God. I am at peace with God. And this does not change because of my behavior. This doesn't change because of my behavior. I'm loved by God regardless of what I do. Now, keep in mind that doesn't mean I'm, that separates me from consequences for what I do. That's a whole other thing. But God's love does not change for me ever. I'm loved by God. He died for me. He paid my debt. I've been reconciled to God. I have peace with God. So you know those little fights when the devil gets you to act on a lie and you, you like mess up and you say, I thought I would never do that again. Why did I do that? I feel so far from God. God says, no, no, that's a lie. That's when you stand on this position. You say, no, no, I'm loved by God and it's, it doesn't matter. It's not based on what I do and what I don't do. I'm loved by God. Fourth thing, <clears throat> I am a citizen of heaven. So you know what? Uh, what does that mean? That means I am part of God's family. I am assured a place in heaven for eternity. I'm a citizen of heaven. And in that helps you weed through a lot of where's your future, what happens when you die, what happens if the, right, if the, if the wrong political person gets in power, what happens, right? All of these kinds of things, these are important, but at the end of the day, it doesn't rock my world. The devil doesn't get a foothold because I'm a citizen of heaven. 
When, when all this crumbles and melts and disappears, I'm going to live forever with God for an eternity. Like, I hope for certain things to happen, but if they don't happen, I'm a citizen of heaven. That's where my, that's where my hope is. That's where I operate from. When I have a conflict with other things, with family or, or my country or other things, and there's, a, there's this tension, I say, well, what would a citizen of heaven do? See, it informs me as well. I'm a citizen of heaven. Fifth, I loved it from last week. It was in my sermon already, and, uh, but, but uh, Brenna Kate quoted Corey Ten Boom very well. I trust in the character of God. Church, for the church person, uh, this would uh, keep you from so many battles in your mind. Think if Eve had this in mind when the devil was talking to her. I trust in the character of God. I trust who God is. I trust what he says. I trust his promises. I trust in his power. I trust that he knows all things. I trust that he's a God of justice. I trust that he's a loving God. I trust, I trust in the character of God. Especially when life gives you reason not to, which is what the quote was. And guess what? Most of us have lots of reason not to more than we have reason to. Right? It's trusting in the character of God so when you're stepping into something and it looks like your whole world is getting rocked and falling apart and there's evil on every side. That's why, you, that's why the, David is such an encouragement to read. Because he says, God, people are trying to kill me everywhere, every side I'm about to... But you, God, I know you. You won't allow this to happen forever. You'll step in at some point. I trust you. And this is a position we have to say, I trust in the character of God. My, your life might be a complete wreck, falling apart, you got no direction, you feel like evil's all around, you say, God, I, I trust in you. I trust in your character. You will lead me through this. You will not let uh, me see decay. As, that's the prophetic about, you know, you're there. You're going to walk with me. I trust in the character of God. Last, last position. God's words are life. So, Psalm 119.93, if we can go to the next slide, please. Sound booth. Jeremiah, are you up there? Thank you. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. What's the psalmist talking about? He said, my, your precepts, your commands, your word. Uh, all of Psalm 119 celebrates the word of God. And just says, Man, when I follow your ways, God, when I follow your word, your commands, they lead me to life. It leads me. And even Peter recognized to Jesus in the next uh, slide, Psalm uh, John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's other scriptures I don't have slides for. Paul talks, tells Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Hebrews 4, 12, the word of, a, word of God is a lot. Oh, I did put them in. 
For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word, His, His words are life. They lead me in life. They give me life. And so when, when I'm challenged, when there's a discrepancy and a conflict, and I'm, I'm wondering about in my head, and, and I open this, and what I'm thinking contradicts with what this says, my position is, this is true, this is not. That's what it means to fight that battle. I don't understand this, maybe. It doesn't make sense to me. But you know what? This leads me to life. The devil's playing with this. That's what that position is. That's why we hold to the Word of God. That's why in our church we say, hey, this is supreme for us because if there's a conflict within us as believers in how we worship or what we preach or any of those kinds of things, we say, well, what does God say about it? This is true. What I may think and what I may feel needs to be compared with this. These words bring life. They lead me to life. So my position is, God's word is life. You say, well, I don't understand it. And I say, well, that's why you have the position. That this is life and I'm going to seek to understand it, but until I understand it, I'm going to believe this over, over this. That's our position. Let me recap these for you, because I'm going to make a connection here in a minute that you're going to hopefully see. Truth matters. Christ has already won. I'm loved by God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I trust in the character of God. God's words our life. Conclusion. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17, if we could turn there, Paul lists for us the armor of God. He says, stand firm then with the belt of what? Because truth matters. Buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of what? Righteousness. Well, we're not talking about uh, your righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness of which was purchased when what happened? Right? When Christ won, His righteousness became ours even though we really don't, we don't have. What, what is His is ours because of His victory. He's already won. We're redeemed not on my own merits, on His. So when the devil says to you, uh, hey, you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. You go, yeah, my actions may say that. But you know what? I have the righteousness of Christ because he won already. So therefore, I'm righteous. Now, hold on the sermon to get on. Well, because we have his righteousness, it should lead us to righteousness, meaning we want to do what's right. It's not just like, hey, here you go. Uh, you can have the name, but don't have to do it. Dressed that another day. But the righteousness of Christ, because of his victory, we are righteous. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, just, just for all of you, even watching online, this is one of the most discussed portions of Scripture because people interpret it differently in what they think it means. Okay? Already acknowledge that. I'll tell you for me what it means and when I read it, what it says. 
Can you go back to that previous one? So, your feet fitted with. Uh, for the Roman soldier who Paul was comparing to, um, they had these sandals that were studded so it gave them a sure foundation in the fight. And uh, a lot of the Roman fighting was done with uh, men who stood shoulder to shoulder with a shield like this, and then the guy behind them put his shield into his back, and so everybody needed a firm foundation so they weren't pushed away, pushed back. And so, what is the most, uh, and so the gospel, now this is of peace, uh, of peace is irrelevant in the sense that uh, the focus of this thing is, what he's talking about is the gospel. And so, when I interpret it, when I read the Greek, it's the gospel that brings me peace. What's the gospel message that brings you peace? I am loved by God, so God sent his son to reconcile me back to God, and God and I are at peace. But the righteousness that is mine that I didn't earn or deserve, Christ purchased that. It's the gospel message that we share. And that's my firm foundation that really informs everything else. I'm, I'm loved by God. And because I'm loved by God, Christ came and did a whole bunch of stuff for me. That's my sure footing, my foundation. So, gospel of peace. And Now, next slide, please. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. The, I trust in the character of God, regardless. Which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then the next verse... Take the helmet of salvation, assurance of salvation, that I am a citizen of heaven. Christ came and purchased me from death to life by his blood. I am saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. It doesn't matter. Uh, and that's not predicated on my behavior, right? God's love for me, my salvation. I can mess up. I'm still going to heaven. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? God's words bring me life. So I'm trying to show you this connection because I know that the, I know that the armor of God in Sunday school and early, other times are taught about, you know, I take up the shield and it's offensive. Uh, you know, I extinguish the darts and like it's, like it's an active. And I'm not saying that's not what it says. But what I am saying is this, that Paul told us and so does Scripture tell us that our fight is in the unseen, and it's mostly here. And that these things that God has given us, these positions that we can hold, we can only hold because of what God has done and given us. You can't stand in righteousness unless Christ has purchased your righteousness. You can't stand in your salvation unless Christ has purchased your salvation. You can't stand in truth unless God gives you the truth. These are all things given to you by God. Therefore, it's his armor to do battle in the unseen. And so I want you to look at the armor of God in a different light. Not that what you've been told was wrong before, but where the real battle is in your mind, his armor is applicable. And when Paul writes to us to clothe ourselves, to take up, to put on... He's indicating a choice here. You can choose to stand 
in His righteousness. You can choose to stand in the assurance of your salvation. You can choose to stand on the Word of God. You can choose to, to be a lover of truth. It's your choice. Or you can choose not to. It's a choice. It's a choice to use that and say, you know what? I know what that says. I know what's coming at me. But I'm promised this. I'm a, I'm a citizen of heaven. I am loved by God. Truth matters. Right? These are positions you choose to stand in. In the next slide. When we hold to what God has given us, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, assurance of our salvation, and the word of God, it leaves little room for the devil's schemes to destroy you, to manipulate you, to alter you. you leaves very little room. You can walk with confidence as a Christian that I'm not being manipulated by the devil when we hold on to these six things and we stand in them. God has given them to you. And I know each one of those uh, in and of themselves is a teaching and what it does and all these kinds of things, but one of the things that every single one of them does is it protects you from the schemes of the devil. So my question today is, uh, is, is well, a challenge and a question. It's our choice to stand in them. You don't have to go out and earn them. You don't have to go out and lay hold of them. You say, no, that's a position. I stand on the fact that truth matters. Right? I stand on the fact that I'm in right standing with God. I stand on the fact that I am saved. And so on. The question for you today is, which position do you need to stand in today? Which position is one that you're like, you know, the, the devil is really wreaking havoc in my life around this. And I need to really just hold this position that truth matters. Or well, I need to really hold this position that I am saved. I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't care what the devil says. Or I'm loved by God. And I may have done a lot of things and messed up in a lot of ways, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that God loves me. And I'm, I'm going to stand in that. Or I'm going to trust in the character of God, even when everything else around me gives me reason not to. God is good. God is right. God is just. He, he's all-powerful. Right? Like, trust in the character of God. Sean, Sean, do you want to come up? And that's our challenge today, right? Is to fight the fight well. To take the things that God has given us and stand in these positions. So that the devil, the schemes that he comes with to, to manipulate, distort, and to get you to try to believe a lie about yourself, about people around you, about God, about, God, about anything else. Anything that's a lie has its roots in evil. Because God is concerned with truth. He is true. And Jesus himself said, the devil's a liar. There is no truth in him.
which position you need to stand in today. We're going to take communion.